This morning for our scripture reading, we turn to Matthew chapter 7. Read this in connection, of course, with the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism on the keys of the kingdom. There's much that relates to the keys of the kingdom in the book of Matthew, because the book of Matthew is about the kingdom, the king of the kingdom, and the citizens of the kingdom, and the government of the kingdom. We read Matthew 7. There's other passages like Matthew 16 and 18 that bear more directly on that subject, but this is the chapter that opens up with some of the most misunderstood words of Jesus that there are, judge not, that ye be not judged. Well, we're going to see that the keys of the kingdom require judgment, and in fact, that the Lord was not saying absolutely do not judge, but rather judge with righteous judgment, the kind of judgment that you want to be judged with is evident as the Lord goes on and talks about the judgment of prophets and others. So let's read Matthew 7. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy, unto the dogs, neither cast ye out your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. We read that far in God's holy word. This morning we consider the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 31. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline, or excommunication out of the Christian church. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and shut against unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel? Thus, when according to the command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And on the contrary, when it is declared and testified to all unbelievers, and such as do not sincerely repent, that they stand exposed to the wrath of God and eternal condemnation, so long as they are unconverted, according to which testimony of the gospel God will judge them, both in this life and in the life to come. How is the kingdom of heaven shut and opened by Christian discipline? Thus, when according to the command of Christ, those who under the name of Christians maintain doctrines or practices inconsistent therewith, and will not, after having been often brotherly admonished, renounce their errors and wicked course of life, are complained of to the church or to those who are thereunto appointed by the church. And if they despise their admonition, are by them forbidden the use of the sacraments, whereby they are excluded from the Christian church and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. And when they promise and show real amendment, are again received as members of Christ and his church. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the importance of this Lord's Day cannot be overstated. The importance of this Lord's Day is evident from the subject matter as well as its location in the Heidelberg Catechism. I hope you all noticed that this is the Lord's Day that concludes the entire section on our Savior, our Deliverer, and the nature of our deliverance. That entire section is concluded with the subject of the keys of the kingdom by which Jesus Christ opens the kingdom to some and closes the kingdom to others. Those keys of the kingdom are two, preaching and Christian discipline. What's significant also is that these are not new subjects being brought to us for the first time. In the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 65, the preaching of the Holy Gospel was brought to us as a means of grace or means of faith. There we learned that preaching is the means that the Holy Spirit uses to work faith, to grant faith, and to work faith. And the sacraments are those which the Holy Spirit uses to strengthen and edify faith, which involves discipline. 
as is evident from the previous question and answer just before this Lord's Day. So keep in mind the structure. A while ago, we were taught about the means of grace or means of faith, which led to instruction on the sacraments. And that entire section on the sacraments ends with these words, that Christian discipline must be administered, lest the covenant of God be profaned and His wrath kindled against the whole congregation. That's what we learned. So these are not new subjects. The importance of the keys is connected to the fact that they are related to the means of grace. And that they are indeed means. It's worth pointing out this, lest we have a misconception of what preaching is and what discipline is. They are means. Now, discipline itself is not cited as a means of grace, but it surely can be considered as one, in that discipline does not simply exclude members from the church who ought not be there, but it includes them when they repent. And it is even called a remedy, medicine. And thus, these are brought up in our own creeds, as means, would like to read that to you, how it's creedal for us that these things are means and important means. In the canons, Head 3-4, Article 17, we read about the contrast of means, that there first of all is physical means as the almighty operation of God whereby He prolongs and supports this our natural life does not exclude, but requires the use of means by which God of His infinite mercy and goodness hath chosen to exert His influence, so physical means, by which God exerts His influence, so also the before-mentioned supernatural operation of God, i.e. regeneration, in no wise excludes or subverts the use of the gospel, which the most wise God has ordained to be the seed of regeneration and food of the soul. Wherefore, as the apostles and teachers who succeeded them piously instructed the people concerning this grace of God to His glory and the abasement of all pride, and in the meantime, however, neglected not to keep them by the sacred precepts of the gospel, notice, in the exercise of the word, sacraments, and discipline as means. Therefore, even so to this day, be it far from either instructors, teachers, or instructed to presume to tempt God in the church by separating what he of his good pleasure hath most intimately joined together. That is, his supernatural operations of grace and the means by which he dispenses grace. And so we see that again now in connection with the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom are also marks of the church. The marks of the church are three. Preaching, sacraments, and discipline. And therefore it should not surprise us also that they are keys. So take note of the relationship. That these keys are all related to the fact that they are means of grace and marks of the church and that they are there with regard to the dispensing and withholding of God's grace. They are there with regard to opening and shutting the kingdom of God. They are there with regard to identifying also the church and the members of the church 
versus those who ought not be members of the church and are outside of the church. So consider with me this morning the keys of the kingdom, their authority, their power, and their importance. The Heidelberg Catechism calls preaching not only a means of grace, and it is not only a mark of the true church, but it is also one of two keys of the kingdom. Likewise, Christian discipline is not only a mark of the church, but it is also a key of the kingdom of heaven. So the Lord Jesus Christ, who owns these keys, this pair of keys that jangle on his belt, he has taken those keys and seen fit to give them to the church. That we should recognize. Now these are not the only keys that Jesus Christ have. In fact, these are related to other keys that he does have, which is he has the keys of death and hell. It is Jesus who determines. It is Jesus who opens and closes the gates of death and hell. But he also has the keys of the kingdom closely related, and he has chosen to give them to the church. Now we must understand that. You see, one of the principles of a key is not simply that it has the power to open a door or open a gate that is otherwise locked, but those keys operate by authority. A thief who does not use a key but nevertheless tries to jimmy open the door is still but a thief. A prisoner who is behind bars but somehow manages to saw open the bars and sneak out is still yet a prisoner though he seems to be free if caught back to prison he will go. It's very important for keys to properly function and be what they are, is that they are used with the authority. Only the jailer has the right to open and close the door of the jail. Only the gatekeeper of the kingdom has the right to open and close the gates of that kingdom. So also you own the keys to your home, and only you have the right to determine who goes in and goes out those doors. Likewise, Christ has keys. And the amazing thing is He has given those keys to the church to exercise on His behalf. Take note, He gives them to the church. Jesus does not give the key of preaching and the key of discipline to individuals. He did not give the keys of the kingdom to Peter personally to exercise as a pope, which keys he then handed down to other popes. Jesus does not give the key of preaching to me. He does not give that key to any individual preacher. No preacher may open the door to the pulpit and climb up in that pulpit and speak authoritatively for God of his own cognizance. Only those to whom Christ has given the keys have that right to determine who preaches and who does not preach who is excommunicated and who may not be excommunicated. I make a point of that because it is not unusual that a preacher thinks that he has the key, that he determines whether he shall preach or not preach, whether he shall stay on the pulpit or whether he will be removed from a pulpit. Likewise, there are individuals who think they have the right to excommunicate members, that they have the right to as they say, cut people off. That it is in their authority that God has given them a key 
to declare people not in the kingdom or out of the kingdom. They do so without authority. They do so without the authorization of Jesus Christ Himself. They are simply self-proclaimed preachers. They are thieves who have climbed in over the walls or opened the doors of their own accord, as Jesus puts it in John 10. They may declare people out of the kingdom, but it is only their own personal opinion and in fact offend Jesus Christ by such declarations. Jesus gives the keys to the church. That church is not the church organic or the church invisible. He does not give these keys, as it were, to all the elect. All the elect to declare who are not elect. He does not give these keys to some organization that is invisible to exercise on his behalf, to preach, as it were, again. He gives the keys to the church, and that church is the church visible. It is the church institute. That's clear when Jesus gave the keys to his apostles as elders. Jesus, when he gave the keys in Matthew 16, speaking to Peter, made that clear that he was not giving them to Peter personally, nor was he giving them in some vague sense to the church as an organism. When he gave them and spoke these words of Matthew 18, repeating, to the church. And notice, too, that Jesus did not even give the keys to the apostles as apostles, if that were true. Then when that office died out with the death of the apostles, the keys would have gone with them. But they were given to the church. To the church as an institution. A church as it is instituted under elders. Chosen by the members of that church. And to those elders, God gives the keys. God does not give the keys of the kingdom to a denomination. That's important to note. Because don't forget the keys are also marks of the true church. One may not ascertain whether a denomination is true or false based on the exercise of the keys because the keys are not exercised by a denomination. A denomination does not have the right to preach the gospel. A denomination does not have the right to open and close the kingdom of heaven by the preaching of the gospel. A denomination does not have the right to exercise discipline, declaring who is in the kingdom and who is out of the kingdom. That's one of the great truths that was reformed and recovered in our own formation as churches. And we must continue to insist on that. No, the keys are given to a local congregation. A local congregation who on its own is a manifestation of the church. A manifestation that is either true or that is false. And true or false depending on whether they exercise and use the keys rightly. And therefore the truth or falsity of a church comes down to the local congregation, and the local congregation alone. Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to the elders of this church. That is the one thing that all the men of this congregation need to keep in mind above all else when electing elders. Not only do the elders need to keep this in mind when they nominate men, but also when electing them. Oh yes, there are qualifications 
for the office of elder. And we may look at those qualifications and we may select only based on those qualifications men that do not possess them, though they be godly men, though they be members of the church, must be qualified for that office. But don't ever forget that all of those qualifications come down really to this. Will that elder, as part of the body of elders, use the keys of the kingdom in the way the Lord attended, intended? Will he use them rightly? Will he see to it that the preaching of the gospel opens and closes the kingdom? Notice that. That's one of the signs of whether preaching is true or false. We may say to ourselves, well, whether it's true or false comes down to whether what's said is true or false. That may be true, but it's possible to preach the truth, but never open the kingdom of heaven. It's possible to teach the, preach the truth from the Word of God and never shut the kingdom of heaven. If so, then there is no real preaching of the gospel. It has no power it can't function as a means of grace, and therefore, too, then, the church quickly dies off and becomes false. Same with the sacraments. Remember that. The one great calling of the church is to exercise the keys. It is not to make people feel good. It is not to provide all sorts of instruction to provide all sorts of clubs to provide all sorts of means by which we might be educated might be comforted might be helped in various ways no this church has a job one job it is to preach the Holy Gospel, and it is to administer Christian discipline. Nothing, and I mean nothing, may ever stand in the way of those two things. Ever. Because only then is the kingdom opened and shut. Now, Christ has given the church this authority. And we ought to be stunned and amazed by it. Why is that? Because if you know anything about the church, not now the church as the body of the elect, not now the church as an organism, the church as she is spiritually over the face of the earth, but if you know anything about the local congregation, and I mean any local congregation, you know one thing about it, at least you ought to, and that it is a church full of sinners. Anyone who doesn't think so ought not be in the church. It often happens, people leave the church. Often when they give the reason for leaving the church, they say, it's a church full of sinners. They don't use that word. They use the word hypocrites. What they mean is people with all sorts of failings, all sorts of sins, all sorts of iniquities. And not only that, but it's very likely that within the church there are reprobates. Jesus himself indicated so that there would always be tears among the wheat, there would always be wolves among the sheep. There would always be false prophets among the true prophets. Jesus himself said so. In fact, if that were not true, then there would be no need for the keys. There would be no need to open and shut the kingdom. There would be no need to exercise discipline. So take note, the very fact that we must preach the gospel, a gospel which declares Jesus' salvation for sinners, 
declares that whosoever believeth in Jesus Christ has their sins forgiven and inherits eternal life. The very fact that we must declare to some sinners that they are not repentant, and as long as they remain that way, are excluded from the kingdom, should indicate the amazing thing that Christ has given the keys to the church. Christ was not a fool when he did so. Christ did not expect that the elders who would rule the church would be more perfect than everyone else. That somehow they were elders because they were sinless while the rest of the flock were sinners. But Christ placed men just like you and me in the office of elder to exercise those keys. And take note, that's exactly why those keys were never given to an individual also. No prophet was ever given the keys to the kingdom, only the king. And in the New Testament, two kings, two elders, not the pastor. He does not hold those keys. Even the key of preaching is not in his hands. And the elders have the right to take that key away if they deem it fit. That is not hierarchy. That is not evil and wrong. That is what Christ intended because even ministers can soon begin to think that they are the king, that they are the Lord, that they are Christ, and such is not the case. Be amazed that sinful men sit around a table and judge sermons, judge whether men should preach or not preach, should be called or not called, sent or not sent. That there are men, elders, just like you and me, who are given the awesome calling of judging behavior. Not only judging behavior as to what's sin and not sin. That's not their work. That's not the exercise of the keys. For we are all sinners. But they must judge whether someone is repentant. And they must do that by only one means, one way. Because they, just like you and me, they cannot see into the heart. They cannot fly up to heaven and see who's written there in the book of life. They don't know who's elect and who is reprobate. They don't know who is the wheat and the tare. The Lord said, judge on one basis, and that is fruit. Fruit. The kind of fruit that is produced. Only then do you know whether the tree is good or evil. And among those fruits is especially the fruit of repentance. Notice the emphasis in both the exercise of these keys comes down to repentance. We should be amazed that God gives this authority to elders in a local congregation because that authority is the authority to exclude someone from the kingdom of heaven. And if someone is excluded from the kingdom of heaven, they are excluded from heaven. This is even more amazing. Men object to this at their peril, strikingly always when they are put under discipline. Then they object to this kind of authority be given to men. But yet Jesus, who is not a fool, did so. Jesus, who knew full well that men are fallible, that they make mistakes, nevertheless, gave to real elders, real men, in a real congregation, the authority to declare that someone has no part in the kingdom of heaven as long as they are unconverted. That's the importance, beloved, of the office 
I believe it was John Kelvin himself who once said, though the man be on the pulpit be a devil, if he speaks the word of God, then you listen for sake of the office. For sake of the office. Now, that power, that power, as I said, is an awesome power. The power of the preaching of the gospel is just as powerful as discipline. Keep that in mind. One cannot deny the power of discipline without denying the power of preaching. That's often done. In fact, I can tell you that any man that has ever endured the steps of discipline and taken it all the way to excommunication has done so for a reason. Now, there are men and women who have been disciplined that foolishly think they can escape that discipline by leaving the church. And I have news for them. They are not excluded from the kingdom simply when they are excommunicated and therefore are not excluded because they were never excommunicated. But take note of the catechism. One is excluded from the kingdom when he's denied the Lord's Supper. That's what we read. How is Christian discipline open and shut the kingdom? When they are told that they are forbidden the use of the sacraments whereby they are excluded from the Christian church. Remember that. Excommunication only declares publicly and officially and a very real way that which was declared when someone was first put under discipline. When someone is denied the Lord's Supper, they are denied the Lord's kingdom. They are excluded. That's the most important part of discipline because that's the power of it. And as I said, there are men who go through discipline. They don't leave the church. They stubbornly sit there and wait till excommunication is read. Perhaps they even come to church after that. You know why? Because they intend to argue with the Lord. They imagine that someday they're going to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, that church that excommunicated me and those elders that excommunicated me were wrong, dead wrong. I was right. Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Ask yourself why the Lord could say that. And ask yourself what the man is doing who will not receive his discipline, or at least won't go the orderly way of protesting it, which is his right. And the reason is, is because that man's fundamental problem, and the reason he's living in sin, is because he's a self-justifier. He spent his life in the church rejecting the gospel of free salvation in Jesus Christ by justifying himself and his actions by always excusing his sin by what he did, that which is good. And he expects that's what he's going to do when he stands before the Lord too, and thus will be condemned. But don't forget that if Christian discipline has that power, so also does the preaching. I bring that up because... There are two mistakes that we often think about the power of the keys, which is one opens and the other closes. That's wrong. When we look at the preaching, we often say to ourselves, well, the preaching opens the, king, the gates of the kingdom of heaven. It never shuts them, or it shouldn't. Or we should be suspicious when it shuts them. After all, are we not the elect people of God? Are we not all regenerated and saved? So why would there be any speech about shutting the kingdom of heaven? And likewise, we can make the mistake of thinking similarly about Christian discipline. Christian discipline is about punishment. It's about excluding. It's about kicking out those who don't belong. But that's not true. Both keys open and both keys shut. In fact, if all they do is open or all they do is shut, then they are not 
keys. Keys do both. And thus, we must always understand that the power of discipline is not simply to exclude, not simply to declare that one is outside the kingdom, but in that declaration is implied, if not explicitly stated, that when a man does repent, the kingdom of heaven is again opened to him. Discipline is never administered without hope. It is never administered as the final word, as it were. In fact, a proper view of discipline, and one that keeps the elders doing that very difficult work. Elders easily want to give up. They would like to do everything but administer discipline sometime. They like to do that under the name patience. But often it's simply a shirking of duties. But one thing that keeps elders motivated and ought to is that discipline is a real remedy. It can indeed be a means of grace. Not only can be, but it ought to be viewed as one. And one that is used in extreme circumstances, no doubt. It's exercised when someone won't listen. They have refused to listen to the Word of God by doing that Word, as Jesus put it. They did not do the will of God. They do not do it. And oftentimes, when that's evident and when that's obvious, elders may say to themselves, well, we're not going to do discipline yet. We're going to keep talking. If we just keep talking, maybe they will turn. No, they're done talking. It's time for discipline. The individual no longer listens to talk and to speech which is why it's there. And you all know that's how it works in your own homes. The mother who has a child to whom she talks, and the child stubbornly does not listen to the mother, if all the mother does is continue to keep talking, does it get any better? No, there's a time for discipline. It's the same way it works in the church. But keep in mind, there is this twofold effect in both. And that's its power. Now, importantly, and this is what I want to focus on yet, is that power. Now, don't forget, we already know what that power is. That power is the power to open or shut the kingdom of heaven. We know that that power is on the favorable side of the equation, to be a means of grace. To actually impart grace and strengthen grace, but also to deny one grace. Don't forget that. Such is God's salvation that He can use the exclusion from the means of grace. That is, the exclusion of the usual method by which He imparts grace to actually impart grace. Don't ever underestimate the grace of God. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace. We all need it. Why in the world would we exclude someone from the table? You're excluding them from grace. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what we're doing. Because such is God's Spirit and such is His sovereignty that He can work grace and turn the hard heart even without and even especially without. Because of a child of God who has even a spark of faith, the small seed of regeneration there deep inside their hard heart, if told and denied the kingdom of heaven, if denied communion with Jesus Christ, that is intolerable. They may love their women, and they may love their money and their drugs and their alcohol, but there will be a love for Jesus Christ that's greater and that says in the face of that discipline or that word of God, I will forsake all for Him. But the important question is how? Notice the question is how is the kingdom open and shut 
by the preaching, and I want to just read that. And you may take my reading for that as the preaching of the gospel. Notice, this is the preaching of the gospel. This is it. This is what preaching of the gospel is. When according to the command of Christ, this is not my word, not your word, command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer. And so this morning I declare that to every and all believer here. I do that publicly and before you in the name of Jesus Christ. What? That whenever they, whenever you, you who are a believer, receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, all their, your sins, are really forgiven you of God for the sake of Christ's merits. That opens the kingdom. On the contrary, when it is declared and testified to all unbelievers, and that too I declare before you, even as a church of Jesus Christ, every one of you who is an unbeliever needs to know this, and such as do not sincerely repent, even a child of God, even an elect child of God who is here, who does not sincerely repent, I, in the name of Christ, declare to you that you stand exposed to the wrath of God and eternal condemnation so long as they, you, are unconverted. And you need to know this too. According to which testimony of the gospel? Notice, that's the testimony of the gospel. Gospel that removes that. Where that is not found is no gospel. According to that testimony, God will judge you. You may fool me, you may fool the elders, you may fool us all. But according to that testimony, God will judge you. Both in this life and the life to come. Now, in case that word is not heeded, there's another key that also opens and it shuts. It's a key that opens and shuts when one does not heed this word. And what does it do? Similarly, and notice this is what discipline declares. Elders, take note. When you have a man under discipline, when you have a woman under discipline, this is what you declare. This is what you say. This is the Word of God you bring to them. Everything else is blah, blah. This. According to the command of Christ, you who under the name of Christian maintain a doctrine or a practice inconsistent with that faith and will not, after having been often brotherly admonished, often brotherly admonished, renounce their errors and wicked course of life, are complained of to the church or to those who are thereto appointed by the church, and if they despise their admonition, are by them forbidden the use of the sacrament, whereby excluded from the Christian church. You need to remind them of that. We're not just placing you under the first step of discipline, silent censure, no one knows, but you, sir, or ma'am, are excluded from the kingdom of heaven. You are excluded from the church. You are excluded from the blessings of God in Jesus Christ. But that's not all. There's more. They need to be told that when they promise and show real amendment of life, they are also, again, received as members of Christ and His church. Now, why is this here? Why is this here at the end of the Heidelberg Catechism's treatment of our deliverance? And the answer is because it's important. And it's especially important that I preach on you, beloved, because there are all kinds of false notions about what preaching ought to be and what the elders' work ought to be, what we are as a church. There's all kinds of organizations that usurp this work. It's not unusual that there's elders 
who take the work that Christ intends to be done by preaching and discipline and give it over to counselors. Give it over to all sorts of people. There are organizations that take to themselves. There are individuals that take to themselves the right to exclude from the kingdom of heaven. It's important for us to understand that. That there's all kinds of false notions about what ought to be done and what ought to be set off this pulpit and what ought to be done by your elders. And I can assure you, if it isn't these two things, then you get some new elders and you find yourself a new preacher. You who are the church, you who exercise these keys only through your elders and through the minister, this is your calling. This is your duty. And remember what it says about you. How you exercise the keys and what you think about the exercise of the keys indicates what you think about the kingdom of heaven, what you think about its king, what you think about its gospel, what you think about grace. Don't ever forget it. The importance... Beloved, is that this is alone what opens the kingdom or shuts it. The authority and power of these keys speak for themselves. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, we pray that we may receive thy word by a true faith. That we may even receive the promise of the gospel that whenever we receive it, we may know that all of our sins are really forgiven us for the sake of Christ's merits. And also never to forget that we who live in unbelief, or any who live in unbelief and do not sincerely repent, stand exposed to the wrath of God and eternal condemnation. Give us grace, Father, to receive the discipline of the church when we become hard-hearted and stubborn in our ways, that it too may function as a means of grace, but also as a means to preserve the church from being overcome with wickedness and being an abomination before thee and the world. So grant our Father in thine infinite grace. Amen.